What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. You can follow me over there for as long as Twitter is around. Uh, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, November the 21st, 2022. It is episode 140 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the program. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar, Matt Bernie, your show. You will get this episode along with the 140 prior. Before we get into this week's show, something else that I would appreciate if you checked out. You don't have to subscribe if you don't want, but it would benefit me long term. And also you would get content delivered to you rather than you go and find it. Um, I have moved all of my sort of uh, projections and things over to a Substack newsletter. MattBernier.substack.com. Matt Bernier, all one word, M-A-T-T-B-E-R-N-I-E-R dot substack dot com, where I'll put out projections for all the sports that I bet on, frankly. Um, and as I write in the newsletter, when it goes out, it is not meant to be gambling advice. I'm merely sharing the projections that my models have indicated. And then the wagers that I'm making based on those. Doesn't mean you need to do it. Tail, fade, don't do anything with them if you don't want. But NHL, NBA, NFL, college football, college basketball will be coming soon. Just need to get more of a sample before I'm really confident putting anything out there. Season is still very, very young. English Premier League, when they come back from the World Cup break, uh, this is being recorded, I don't know, about 25 minutes before the uh, U.S. men's national team starts their World Cup against Wales. Um yeah, head on over, check that out. You don't have to subscribe if you don't want. It's free. Um, but mattbernier.substack.com. You can go over there, read some articles. Uh, and if you do subscribe, it is delivered to your email for free. Let's go check it out. This week's show, uh, going to be going over the Saturday of the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge and my demise, but also the very end where it was the beginning of sort of the inkling that maybe the approach has been wrong all along. It took a positive to perhaps uncover some some things that need a little bit of work strategically. And I'm very curious to get opinions from those of you listening. Uh, and then also we'll wrap up with week 12 in the NFL. We've got quite a few decent games, but specifically Thursday is nice. Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, nice. Paper, good matchups. Um, very curious about those. I'm not making any plays from those three, but I'll give you the projections, and then I've got four plays coming up on Sunday for you to consider that I'm going to be making. Fade them, tail them, again, do whatever the hell you want with them. It's up to you, your prerogative. Uh, but first things first, let's go back to Breeders' Cup Saturday. Let's talk about BCBC Day 2 and where things went wrong and what was sort of the, the aha moment of, wait a minute, have I been doing this whole thing wrong all along? Breeders' Cup, Saturday. Friday's already in the books. Um, first, apologies for the camera being like this, but I've gone back to my real camera, my good camera, for the pod, and the phone camera, which I've been using for quite some time, uh, is the only one that will connect to my MacBook uh, using QuickTime and to do this sort of overlaid piece. So here we are. We're going to do it this way. Um, and I want to be able to show you the ticket still. So you're going to have just a little bit of an upshot. Not the end of the world. Um more importantly, focus on the charts that are pulled up in DRS Formulator product, and we'll just talk about 
the disaster that was Breeders' Cup Saturday, shall we? Uh, we'll start right in race number three. Again, going into this day, he had sixty some, sixty one hundred dollars, somewhere thereabouts. I'm going to butcher the numbers a little bit because I've <laughs> I've put it out of my mind. But um, yeah, somewhere thereabouts, going into it feeling good. Have a couple of opinions. Know that we're going to need to make a couple of tweaks. But let's just get alive. Let's have some some real stuff to play with in a couple of these spots that I've got opinions. And in the other races, let's just sort of get through them. And hopefully we can build the bank a little bit so we've got more to play with. So it starts here in race number three. This is the Philly and Mare Sprint. Uh, I, I had no real objection to Goodnight Olive. I did think she was on the better part of the racetrack at Saratoga when she won the Ballerina, I believe it was. Um, and also keep in mind, I, I spoke last week's, uh, last week's show about how I had three real horses that I was set on playing going into the Breeders' Cup. Two of them ended up scratching. The only one that didn't, we'll talk about later on in the mile. But in the weeks leading up to, there was another horse that I was really set in on as being a key play to Breeders' Cup weekend, and it would have been in this race, and they didn't even enter her. It was Caramel Swirl. So there's another one that absolutely don't, you know, get me wrong. That, that is not an excuse for, for poor picks and bets um it just was an added layer of like all right well i've now all in of the four horses i really liked three of them are gone so what are we going to do i pivoted to frank's rocket as you can see here this was merely meant as a hit one of the minimums kind of thing 300 to win 300 to show on the five frank's rocket went off at odds of nine to one which and for the longest time, the horse was north of that, which more often than not in a, a Breeders' Cup kind of scenario, I'm not too bothered by it because so much can be bet at different points. Maybe some of these other horses took more money early on than they figured to long run. Uh, but I should have known that that was a little bit of a sign. And I had spoken to enough people that had voiced concerns about she did her best running with advantageous pace setups, and maybe she wouldn't get it this time around. And they were correct. She just did not pick her feet up. At no point was she running well. Granted, she was very wide, but that didn't make a difference. She just never really kicked on. Good night, Olive wins. And uh, things get off to a, a pretty formful start. And in the grand scheme of things, I look at it and say, you know what? Yes, $600 gone, but we needed to hit a minimum anyway. And no harm, no foul. I, In my mind, and maybe, again, this is partially something that needs to be sort of tweaked as far as my viewpoint on an event like this or any live money contest. I don't know that I should just as willingly or be as willing to go into spots and just say, well, if I lose, I lose. It's still $600. And yeah, you need to hit a minimum no matter what. But the the hope is to break even on this sort of thing, if you're in my shoes anyway, from a minimum in a race that you don't really love. So in hindsight, am I better off? Look, Goodnight Olive made sense. It's not like she was a, a crazy horse. There's a reason she was 9-5. Should I have taken this $600 that I played 300 to win, 300 to show on the 10 to 1 shot and just played 300 to win, 300 to show on the 9 to 5 shot? You've got a better chance of hitting the board statistically. By the way, she paid almost $3, $2.98 to show, as you can see. So, you know, should I have gone that route? You figure you're going to get at least 450 back minimum if she just hits the board. Let's just say everything played out this way. And at best, you're actually going to make a little bit more on top of that. 
Let me know what your thoughts are about that. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's the difficulty of playing the sort of pick and pray $2 win place format mentality versus the live money format. Things do need to change, I think, a little bit. Anyway, so this race, no good for me. We move on. Race number four was the turf sprint. Now, I have voiced my displeasure for turf sprints many, many times. This was not a race I had an opinion on. And I said, I'm not going to use any of my capital to just take a stab and see what happens. I did think purely from a race flow standpoint, Golden Pal is clearly the fastest horse in the race. And the only way he is not two, two and a half lengths clear as they go down the backside and in around the far turn is if something bad happens, he gets injured, he loses the rider or whatever, or for whatever reason, he misses the break, which wouldn't be entirely, you know, outrageous because if we pull up the PPs, the Troy, he was away very slowly. We know what happened when he was over at Ascot over the summer, you know, so unfortunately, for anybody that backed him, he blows the break. The entire race changes. Caravelle makes the front from there, and she wins at 43-1. to 1. Again, didn't really bother me because I didn't have anything in the race, but I am looking at that saying, okay, well, I did save a little bit of money, but maybe that blows some things up. Maybe it changes you know, the, the shape of the leaderboard or whatever it may be. But then again, I go, well, how many people are going to have Caravelle, who was the what, fourth longest shot on the board? in a race of 14 horses where the top of the market seemed pretty good. Golden Pal and Highfield Princess. Again, it's a turf sprint. My opinion means jack squat in those spots because I can't make heads or tails of them. So I'm glad I didn't put anything into it. The next play comes in race number five. Now, the thought behind this, if you'll go back to last week's show, I had mentioned that one of the horses I wanted to bet was Laurel River. He scratches from this spot. So now I'm factoring in, I need to hit minimums as well. So I went through and I'm looking at the prices and there were four horses that I was a little bit interested in. Okay. You had Simplification. You had Cyberknife. Simplification, Cyberknife. No, I'm sorry. Law Professor. Gunite. Cyberknife. And I guess I had three technique. That doesn't make sense. Or I should just read the freaking ticket. It says right on there, you dummy. Law Professor Gunite Cody's Wish Cyberknife. I'm trying to read the, the chart and getting all screwed up. I used those horses into Rougier in the Philly and Mare Turf in doubles. But I convinced myself that Gunite would be able to get the distance going two turns. Now, he runs a, a fine race, all things considered. You take a look at the pace scenario. Yes, he was no match for Cyberknife, who was relatively close to the pace situation. But when you look in the, f the fact that Gunite was closest to Pipeline, who finished last, you know, he ran a, a fine race. Uh, no match for the top finisher and even the runner-up, Cyberknife. But Cody's Wish wins the race. So the $500 win bet that I have on Gunite is toast. So we've lost that. But now we've at least got a little something going into the next race where we're alive. If for whatever reason, Rougier kicks, like I, you know, hopeful she can, we're going to get something back. The problem is, and I knew this in my heart of hearts, and this is one of those stupid things where you just get so stuck into your opinion and you, you can't get off of it. 
I've, I'd said for months that I wondered if Rougier was just a horse that did not like firm turf. And I had hoped that the Keeneland turf was going to be a little bit more forgiving than the courses that she ran on in New York over the summer and this, that, and the other. She went up to Woodbine. She got the job done. That was technically firm, but there was a little bit more given it. And I thought maybe that would be a little bit more of an apples to apples comp than the New York turf courses. And I, again, should have known better. Lexington had such little precipitation in the weeks leading into the Breeders' Cup that it was going to be firm. And she did not pick her feet up because she can't run on firm turf. Plain and simple. She can't do it. So not only do I not cash that double that we were alive to, which was going to be a baby one anyway, but again, we're just trying to build. But then I still had to hit a minimum. You need to bet each individual race to get your to hit your minimums. So I bet 300 to place and show on her, thinking that, look, she's 13 to 1. If she runs second, we're going to get a, a, a fair bit back. Um, again, it'll tick a minimum. It'll add to the bankroll. And we'll be in better shape going into the big races, the races that I've got some opinions on. Instead, she doesn't run for reasons that I know better than to buy into. And I think the thing that really annoyed me was not only that, but seeing how the Europeans had been running, including the turf sprints. Tuesday just felt, she felt like a Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf kind, didn't she? And it's easy to say that after the race. But she just, she just felt like that kind of horse. And she wins, pays 10 bucks, 10.38, whatever it is. Okay, fine, no big deal. So we're, we're hurting a little bit now. We're starting to go the wrong direction. But this is where we're really going to start to make some stands, right? We go into the sprint. And I had said for the days leading into it, and I'll say it now. Jackie's Warrior is supposed to win this race if he is what we've all made him out to be. And I look, I thought he would. And frankly, I thought he would win rather comfortably. If he is... Yes, he's won all those races for all those years at Saratoga. And, you know, he did this, that, and the other. He won grade ones as two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. But he was 0 for 2 in the Breeders' Cup. I was going to give him mulligans, though. As a two-year-old, he went two turns. He's not a two-turn horse. As a three-year-old, he comes out of the race with an injury. Fine, draw a line through it. There's no reason. There's no reason. And this thing's going to set up perfectly for him. So they break, they're going down the backside, and as they go into the far turn, you see Rosario start to do one of these. And I said, holy shit, man, he can't, He's if he's not easily inhaling Super Ocho, no offense to Super Ocho and the connections, he's not going to win. He's just not going to. He's supposed to just cruise up, sidle alongside, put a head in front, and then say, you know what, if somebody comes and runs me down, so be it. But if you got to work to go and run him down, you have no chance of holding anybody off. So I had gone into this race knowing that my big opinion was in the upcoming mile. I bet a thousand dollar double of Jackie's Warrior into Annapolis. And obviously, Jackie's Warrior, no dice. Uh, you know, bigger picture. To me, it it absolutely affects the way I look back on him. 
Really good horse. Really good. Great? No. No. You're supposed to beat this field. Elite Power wins with a 100 buyer's... Like, Elite Power is a fine horse. And yeah, I get it. Oh, he's improving this, that, and the other. He's done nothing brilliant. He's a good horse. This Jackie's Warrior, with all these other gaudy numbers, these big numbers, he's supposed to win this race. So it was very disappointing when he didn't. Not just for my bank, but also I think of it from a sporting standpoint. It's just, he, for whatever reason, on some of the biggest stages... And he beat good horses, and that's the thing that's so maddening. I mean, he beat Life is Good. And I know it was off of a lengthy layoff for Life is Good, and this, that, and the other. But man, he's probably one of the better horses to, to run in as many Breeders' Cups as he did, and to not win one. But it is a, it's a mark against him, I think. Big picture. Okay, so now we're really... I'm starting to look at it, and I'm like, shit. I, you know... At that point, that was probably a thousand out of forty-eight hundred or ballpark, and you can find all the plays breederscup.com. They're all available, so you can print them out and go back and double check. But I'm showing you the tickets. I may be off by a few dollars here or there, but that was a big push. But now this is really where I say, okay, unfortunately, I'm not alive in the double, but we're going to make our push here in the mile. And it was really the opinion that I had. For the two days. Annapolis, I loved him. I loved everything about him. I loved the performance at Keeneland. I loved that he had won at Keeneland. I loved his tactical speed. That he was going to be able to be forward. I, I just thought it was going to be an ideal sort of setup for him. And when I see him as far back as he is, down the front side, I'm thinking, he can't, he's not, he's, not going to outkick modern games starting behind him. He's just not. Part of the rationale for liking him was because he's going to be in front of him. And yeah, you look at the chart and the pace did kind of fall apart, but it makes it even more damning that he doesn't he doesn't run. He was he was awful as the second choice. He was awful. And not only did I have a, a thousand to win on him, but I had a a $500 boxed exactive with him in Modern Games. Modern Games goes and does his job. Annapolis does not. And that was really... That was really a, uh, a, a tough pill for me to swallow because I was like, all right, well, you know, you, you certainly, you try not to think of... You try not to get too far ahead of yourself, right? You still need to go out. You need to accumulate dollars. And, you know, you play the contest as you go along. But in my head, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't, I wasn't thinking of it like, okay, well, if he can do it, I'm going to have this much going into this spot. And playing it all out and say, okay, well, if I have this, then what do I do? I, I, I will tr be completely honest and say there was no world in which I envisioned this, this race coming. There just wasn't. I, I thought he was going to be a proper, proper player, and I was not alone. He was the second choice in the race. But I, there was just no world that I saw this really shitty performance coming. I know he didn't get away all that great, but he just he never he never ran. Um, so very disappointing. And now at this point, I'm like, okay, well, we probably have got. Oh, and by the way, I ha also had this. 
I had a hundred dollar double Annapolis into society. Foreshadowing. Now we're really down to the bitter end. Realistically, contest is probably come and gone as far as you know having a chance to win the thing. Um, the bank itself is down, and you're like, all right, well, what what are we gonna do now? I, I liked society. I thought she was going to be able to clear off to the front. And if, if I'm being honest, I, I thought really the trip was kind of what I thought it was going to be. Now, maybe they were going much faster than it seems because the race completely fell apart. Or maybe it was a combination of the speed wasn't all that good. Uh, but I ended up betting $500 to win on society. And then I played... Basically, with the idea, the logic of, I like the three-year-olds. So, nest society, nest society, all, in 50 trifectas. And I said, look, if I can get this thing through, even if she doesn't win, if she runs second behind nest, and we can catch, I don't know, blue stripe or secret oath in third, we're going to be all right. $50 tries, going to put us right back in the thick of things. And again, the, the idea of the three-year-olds was a terrible one. Because it was all older horses. I mean, I, you know, when you're wrong, you're wrong. So now I am down to uh, one hundred sixty-two dollars, maybe total. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, I, it's it's obviously over. I'm down. Not just in my bank, but the the morale is low. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not going to bet again. I'm done. And then I sat there and I go, you you, you know, walk out with $162? Let, less than 30 hours ago, you had $8,900. You, you really that concerned about the 162 bucks? So I said, screw it. The turf is coming up. My opinion basically was this. Godolphin's going to win, whether it's Nation's Pride or it's Rebel's Romance. And if you like Nation's Pride, you kind of have to like Stone Age based on the trips in New York. And Stone Age also came back to run relatively well. I didn't like Warlike Goddess. I didn't like Mishriff. The only other horse I threw in there was Masterpiece at a million to one. He ended up going off at 26. I think it was a pretty substantial overlay, uh, underlay. rather. Um, so I had $162. I put together exact the boxes. And this is kind of, for a moment, this is what started getting those wheels spinning of, wait a minute, have I been approaching this whole thing wrong? So $25 exact a box, 357. That is uh, Stone Age, that is Rebel's Romance, and that is Nation's Pride. Then a $2 exact a box with Rebel's Romance, Nation's Pride, and Masterpiece. $162. The reason I say this is when the wheels started to spin, that if I if I just approached this entirely wrong, I wouldn't, on a normal day, I'm not betting exact the boxes. I'm pressing up cold punches, hard. So this $162, instead of it being, you know, $25 boxes, it's probably a an $80 straight punch, a you know, $50 revert backup kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, that's the point. And yeah, I know I've got $20 or whatever else left. 
But I, I'm wondering if I if I got too stuck into the minutia of overlay, underlay, this, that, or the other. I'm sure the EV police would come out and say, no, you didn't get too stuck into it. That's the only way you can do it. But when you only have a certain amount of time, you, you can't afford. It's the same idea of a golf tournament, right? It's the final round, and you're I'm making it up. Two shots off the lead with, let's say, seven holes left, maybe six holes left. Nah, make it less than that. Call it five holes left. You're two back. You can either sit back and play your numbers and play your strategy of, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to take a chance here. I don't really want to risk making a bogey. Like, let's just get out here, try to make a par. This isn't a hole that we're trying to make birdie on. And hope that the leader comes back to you. Or you go out and get it. I've been of the mentality that you need to go out and get it. But there's a part of me that wonders if like, like play for par. Play for par, meaning it doesn't need to be a brilliant opinion. If you go out there and instead of this being a $25 box, so by this all told, this came back like $1,700, somewhere thereabouts. If you put a zero on the end of that, that's a $1,600 play. It comes back $17,000 going into the Classic. And that's just, and I know that's very easy to say, just add a zero. But when you're, when you're in a contest like this, that's not a crazy, a crazy thought. Now, and I understand it's easy to use this as an example when, you know, Stone Age is 12 to 1. He goes off as the sixth choice. But it's just, it's sort of the my big takeaway when I really started to think like, and then I found out what Drew's plays were and how he approached it. I said, I think I may be making this entirely too difficult. Just purely from a, an approach standpoint that, that maybe this is keep it simple, stupid. No, you're not going to get maximum dollars or, or whatever it may be. And I'm also factoring in what my obligations are for work. But like, I don't know. I mean, tell me if, um, by the way, we, we also wrap things up with, you know, this horse winning by eight lengths and earning a 121 buyer speed figure and yada, yada, yada. Oh, and by the way, the Olympiad thing, I w- this is the only thing I'm going to take a victory lap on because I feel better and better about it as more and more time goes by. I said that the Whitney, he bounced and he bounced. Don't, there was no other explanation for it. Anyone else that's arguing otherwise, I think is just completely wrong. Oh, it was hot. Oh, he was chasing a fast pace. This, uh, no, he bounced out of a career best effort because he's come back with two great efforts. It's the only thing I was right about, so I will shake my fist. Um, I'm just, I, I do wonder. Oh, and by the way, I bet $100. This, this also is funny. Me and Steve Kornacki watching the race, getting ready to go. I bet a $100 exact the flight line over Taba. And I think for a dollar, it was coming back like six bucks. So Steve Steve bets it also. And we're just kind of shooting the shit before the race. They're getting ready to load in. We're watching the race play out. 
and we get the drone camera down the backside. They open up by, you know, however many they were, clear, 10, 11. And we're going, this is great. Because Taba's going to come running. Fact. Taba will come running. Floodline puts life as good away. We see those other horses starting to come. But you get that giant gap. Once he hits the line, you don't see who comes through. And we're both waiting, waiting, waiting. And we see two horses coming. And the one on the outside is there. And I go, that's the wrong color. We needed a red towel. Not an orange one. And um, so we don't cash that. Which, you know, whatever. At that point, it was just... That is one instance where, again, it was identify you identify value and you take a shot. And unfortunately, uh, it didn't work. But point being, I wonder if I've overthought some of these things a bit, purely from a contest standpoint. And again, if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to listen to Drew Coatney, the winner of the BCBC, talk to PTF and sort of the logic and the thought behind his plan to go ahead and win the whole thing. Um there is a lot of time between now and next year's BCBC. Um, and there are other events between now and then. And maybe I'll try to get involved with some of those. Hopefully, I believe Horse Tourneys is already running Pegasus qualifiers. So maybe I'll try to get into that to qualify for the, the Pegasus World Cup betting challenge. But it's it has this experience has made me reconsider how to approach an event like this. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, what you thought of the execution of the plays, if the logic is flawed, um, and just your general overall thoughts and feelings about how do you go about betting? Because those of you that bet big dollars, this probably isn't much different than a a day-to-day sort of situation for you. That's also part of it for me, is I don't typically play exactas and tries and things like that. I bet doubles, I bet to win. And again, you gotta have some kind of good opinion for any of it to matter. But I do think that was, this is a little bit of an eye-opener for me, purely from a strategy standpoint. And I'm curious what other people have to say. Now that that's done, let's pivot, let's transition. Week 12, NFL, Thanksgiving Day, three games, and on paper, they're good games. Let's talk about those games, some others. We'll give you four more plays to consider for this upcoming week. NFL Week 12, let's take a look back at those four games that I played from last week. I actually added a fifth on the newsletter, which was stupid in hindsight because the Vikings got absolutely housed at home. And, you know, there was enough smoke as far as people saying, oh, this, that, and the other. I just, my numbers said one thing, and Minnesota got completely embarrassed. Uh, I guess good news or bad news for them. They turn around real quick. We'll talk about that game, the three Thanksgiving Day games. But first things first, those four games... Eagles at Colts, um, look, I, I waited to play that game. I had said last Monday, minus nine I was interested in. I ended up getting it at minus six and a half after they lost on Monday night. And they just played like shit the whole way through. And sure, they got the job done, but didn't make a difference for my bet. Did not cover that. Rams and Saints, under 39 and a half. Didn't cover that. I believe the total finished at 47. That was just kind of a wacky game all around. Uh, and not wacky in like a fun sense. It was just kind of like crap at one point. I, the third String quarterback was in for the Rams, and it just it was a mess. Uh, Raiders and Broncos was a win, under 41.5. I was so upset with the way things were transpiring at the end of regulation when McDaniels just settled for the field goal, and then they were going to go to overtime. And in my head, I'm seeing whoever had the ball first and ended up being Vegas. They're going to kick the field goal, and then 
the Broncos are going to go down and score a touchdown, and this thing's going to go over when it was a slam dunk under the whole way. Thankfully, that didn't happen, uh, so we cashed that. And then also the Bengals and Steelers. You know, maybe it was it took a little while for Cincinnati to to pull away, but they got the job done and did so rather comfortably in the end. So um, basically, call it fifty fifty. If you want to add in that Vikings play that I I laid out um, in the newsletter, then we were down one. But as far as my and to be fair, I didn't actually make that bet. I made these four bets. Um, so. You know, you lost the juice. That was about it. We got out of the weekend relatively unscathed. And I'll tell you what, man, it's becoming more and more apparent. Not that it wasn't already clear, but betting football in general, not just the NFL. College is a little bit, you know, not quite as crazy, I don't think. But, man, these numbers are so freaking tight in the NFL that it's just, it's so hard even with, you know, I have a lot of faith in my stuff. I think my numbers are very, very solid after years of doing this shit. And it's just so difficult to, these teams are so evenly matched. I was just texting with my buddies. I go, I'm trying to avoid betting on games with bad teams. The problem is there wouldn't be any bets then. Cause I, I think 95% of the league is bad or mediocre. Let's put it that way. And then you've got sort of the two and a half percent that is bad. And the two and a half percent that is good. Everybody else is in between which makes it really difficult. The variance, I think, is wild from week to week. Um, but, hey, it is what it is. I, I tend to stick more to the basketball sort of stuff for that reason, stick more to hockey. Um, but, hey, neither here nor there. Let's get into it. Uh, week 12, you've got three Thanksgiving Day games. On paper, they're all good games. We'll find out if it plays out that way. I'm going to have no bets from them, although you could make a couple of cases. Bills at Lions. Uh, the book has the Bills as a nine-point favorite on the road. Total is 54. I have Buffalo winning 31.0 to 22.3. That's a line of 8.7 in favor of Buffalo. So basically right on with the sports book. Uh, And the total of 53.3 compared to 54. I think Buffalo wins 71.8% of the time. No play for me. New York Giants, Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are nine-point home favorites. The total is 44.5. I have Dallas winning 27.2 to 16.4. That is a difference of 10.9 points in favor of Dallas. I suppose you could play... The Cowboys, I wonder if part of that is a little bit of you're, you're buying high on Dallas after that beatdown in Minnesota. You're buying low on New York after dropping that game to Detroit on Sunday. You know, the total is pretty close. I've got it at 43.6 compared to the 44.5. I think Dallas wins 75.9% of the time. Maybe a little bit of the smoke and mirrors from New York is being exposed. You know, we'll see. It's just a. I'm more inclined to sit back and watch, but who knows? By the time that game starts at 4:30 in the afternoon on Thursday, I'll probably have had a couple of cocktails and maybe I'll fire away. Uh, and then the night game, I'm already going to have enough of a vested interest, so I don't need to have any money on the game. New England Patriots on the road at the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know how the Patriots won that game against the Jets on Sunday. Um, I, I just I think they're very mediocre. The good news is for them, I think Minnesota. Despite what my numbers had said last week, I mean, it's effectively the same setup. I had Minnesota as a one and a half point favorite last week, and they lost by 37. Hey, you know, you win some, you lose some. You dip your cap and say, all right, we move on. Uh, This week, I have them as 1.2 point favorites at home against the Pats. The book has them as the three-point home favorite. The total is 42.5. I have Minnesota winning 21.4 to 20.2. Uh, with the total being 41.6. 
Minnesota winning outright uh, 54.5% of the time. I think it's kind of a coin flip. I don't know that either team is particularly good. Um, You know, the Patriots have a solid defense and they can't do anything on offense. Minnesota is fine. But if you put Minnesota in the AFC, they're probably a, a, a bubble kind of playoff team, which is basically what the Patriots are. Um, I think it's a very close game. And again, coin flip situation. I want to probably stay away from that entirely. Uh, and, you know, my favorite team is playing. So I'm going to be content Thursday night to just sit back and watch. Here we go. First play. Denver Broncos at Carolina Panthers. Broncos are two-and-a-half-point road favorites. The total is 35 for a professional football game. 35. And I'm going under. Uh, I have Denver winning 15.9 to 14.8. That's a 1.1-point difference as far as the spread is concerned. Still in favor of Denver. Um, So I guess you could take the points at home with Carolina, but Carolina looks like crap, so I'm not really inclined to do that. I think Denver wins outright 52.8% of the time. But more importantly, my total is 30.7 compared to the book's 35. The weather looks pretty crummy leading in. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, thunderstorms in the Charlotte area. I have under 35 coming in 61.5% of the time. That is the first play of the week at minus 110. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Cleveland Browns. The Bucks are three-point road favorites. The total is 43.5. I have Tampa winning 21.7 and 19.0. That is a 2.7-point difference. Again, it's basically a wash for me. The total, you could play the under in here based on my numbers. I've got 40.7 compared to 43.5. Um, I, I just, I still, I think everyone is waiting for Tampa to somehow put it together offensively. Cleveland can control the game on the ground but Tampa's defense is good. There's just, I don't know. I I could see a scenario where the game is much higher scoring than what my number suggests. I could also see it being a slog and it being some sort of a 17-10, 17-14 kind of game. Any situation like that, I'm going to avoid it. I think Tampa wins outright 58.9% of the time. It's a pass as far as plays are concerned. Uh, Atlanta Falcons at the Washington Commanders. The Commanders are three and a half point home favorites. Total is 43. I've got Washington winning 22.7 to 18.7. There's a 4.1 point difference in favor of Washington. So just about a half point difference between my line and the books line. The total of 41.4 compared to 43. You could play the under again. It's not enough of an edge for me to really get all jazzed about playing. So I'm going to pass. I have Washington winning 61% of the time. Baltimore at Jacksonville. So when I thought long and hard about, you probably could end up going this route. It's in the eye of the beholder, really. Uh, The book has Baltimore as a four-point road favorite. The total is 45.4. Excuse me, 45.5. I have Baltimore winning 26.3 to 19.4. That's a 6.9-point difference. Uh, The total of 45.7 is basically spot on. I think Baltimore wins 70.1% of the time outright. You could play Baltimore minus four. I've got that coming in 58.3% of the time. The only concern I have is I still think, I think Jacksonville's good. Now their record does not indicate that. And they've coughed up a number of games. They probably shouldn't have. But I'm I'm inclined to think that, that Jacksonville is kind of sneaky. And in a spot like this, again, there's there's no one telling you you absolutely have to bet any game. And, you know, we'll see how Thursday goes. We'll see how some of the other stuff goes over the week. 
you know, you could play Baltimore minus four. I'm going to pass just because I do think there's a little bit of upside with Jacksonville overall, and I don't think they're as bad as their record would suggest. So it's, it's a pass for me, but if you were so inclined, I would probably lay the points with Baltimore on the road. Cincinnati Bengals at the Tennessee Titans. The Bengals are one-point favorites on the road. The total is 42.5. I have Cincinnati winning 23.4 to 21.4 uh, because I, I basically round it to one decimal place. I have a 1.9 point differential, despite the fact that I have 23.4 to 21.4. Um, that's just if you go into the other decimal points, that's what it'll come out to. Uh, the total of 44.8, you could play the over if you really wanted to, um, but again, not enough of an edge for me. I've got Cincinnati winning outright 54.2% of the time. Houston Texans at the Miami Dolphins. Here's another play for you. Uh, the Dolphins are 12-point home favorites. The total is 46. I have Miami winning 27.4 to 14.7. That is a 12.7-point differential, so no play there. But the total of 42.2, I think that offers a little bit of value playing under 46. I think that comes in 59.1% of the time. I think Miami wins outright 81.6% of the time. So the second play for me for the weekend is Texans at Dolphins under 46 at minus 110. Third play of the weekend. Las Vegas Raiders at Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks are four-point home favorites. Total is 47.5. I have Seattle winning 25.6 to 18.8. Excuse me. That's a 6.8-point difference, so about 2.8 points worth of value in my eyes. Uh, I think the Seahawks win outright 68.3% of the time. The total, I guess you could also look to the under. I've got 44.4 compared to 47.5, but I'm more interested in Seattle, minus four at home. 59.9% of the time I have that coming in. Add that to the ticket. Seattle, minus four. Saints at the 49ers. This could change a little bit depending on what happens in Mexico tonight. Uh, again, recording this, you know, uh, late morning on Monday. Uh, I have San Francisco winning 23.0 to 16.1. The book has San Fran favored by eight and a half. I have them favored by 6.9. The total from the book is 42. My total is 39.1. I have San Francisco winning outright 64.8% of the time. Another instance where you could play the under if you really wanted to, but I just don't see enough of a difference for there to really be any worthwhile time for doing that. Uh, Sunday night, here's the fourth play of the week. Green Bay Packers at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are seven-point home favorites. The total is 45 I have Philadelphia winning 27.5 to 16.8. That's a 10.7 point difference. Uh, the total that I have is 44.3, so there's no play on that number. I think Philly wins outright 78.7% of the time, but I think they cover seven, 60.8% of the time. That's going to be a play for me. I'm Look, if Philadelphia has any kind of real gumption and they want to prove that they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender, you come back, after losing Monday last week to Washington, after looking like complete garbage on Sunday, but eking one out against an Indianapolis team that's meh, we'll talk about them in a minute, you come back and you put the boots to Aaron Rodgers and a very mediocre Green Bay Packers team on Sunday night with everybody watching. You just do, if, if you are that good. Now, I'm not sold that they are, you know, the best team necessarily in the NFC. They might be. But I do think they're one of the, let's say, five best teams in, in, in the, foot, the football, the NFL right now. So if they are what I think they probably are, big picture, you know, I was saying 95% is in the middle, two and a half on the bottom, two and a half on top. They should, they should cover a touchdown if they are what I think they are. Give me Philadelphia 
minus seven on Sunday night at home. And then on Monday night, this is kind of a funky game. Again, we'll talk about it uh, maybe on the pod next week, depending on how everything shakes down. Pittsburgh at Indianapolis. Indy is a three-point home favorite. The total is 39.5. I have them winning 18.2 to 16.1. You know, I, I mean, I guess you could take the points with, with Pittsburgh uh, on the road. Not really inclined to do that. The play, the more logical play, would be under 39.5. I've got it at 34.4. But Pittsburgh's at least shown some life. And Indy has had their moments. So this is another one, kind of like that Bucks and Browns game I talked about, where I, I could see, despite my number saying one thing, I could see it getting a little bit crazy and maybe some weird shit happens. Um, I'm just going to avoid it for now. We'll see how this week goes. If we end up with a couple more, couple more pennies in the account, maybe we make a play. Probably not going to, but if I did, I'd be playing under 39.5 for next Monday night's game. So you have it. Recap, the four plays for this week. Broncos at Panthers, under 35. I have that coming in 61.5% of the time. Texans at Dolphins, under 46. I have that happening 59.1% of the time. Raiders at Seahawks, Seattle minus four at home, 59.9% of the time. The Packers at the Eagles, Philadelphia minus seven. I have that coming in 60.1% of the time. Let me know what you think about those four plays. What do you think about the whole slate? Whether it's Thursday's games, whether it's Sunday's games, anything in between. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, or again, as I've said before, subscribe to the Substack newsletter, mattbernier.substack.com. All you need to do, put in your email address. I send out stuff daily. And there's a little comment section in there. You can fire away on that too. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. If you watch or listen along over on YouTube, just search bar Matt Bernier Show. You get this episode along with the 139 prior, I believe. Uh, I'd have to look at that again. Um, enjoy the holiday. Be safe. Don't do anything stupid. Eat lots of great food. Hang out with friends and family. Um, and we'll come back next Monday. We'll chop some things up. Look ahead to some more football. Look ahead to some more racing. Whatever it may be. Um, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play over the holiday break. This has been the Matt Bernier Show.